Today's episode of First Look ETF is brought to you by the New York Stock Exchange, the home of ETFs. To hear from experts across the ETF market, visit homeofetfs.com. NYSE has sponsored this production by ETF Guide LLC for illustrative, informational, and educational purposes only, without regard to any particular investor's objectives, financial situation, or circumstances. NYSE neither represents nor warrants the accuracy or correctness of any of the statements in the production, which has been independently assembled by ETF Guide LLC and with whom sole editorial control rests. NYSE makes no recommendation as to possible benefits from any securities or trading strategies, and this production is not a rec- recommendation, offer, or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any security or engage in any trading strategy. Prior to the execution of a purchase or sale of any security, you are advised to consult with your own advisors. Hello, and welcome to First Look ETF. I'm Stephanie Stanton with ETF Guide. It is great to have you with us. Season two is in full swing right now. And coming up on today's show, a new ETF that offers investors a tax shelter amidst concerns about the growing national debt and whether higher taxes will be needed to pay for it. Plus, we will examine a new index ETF fund from Motley Fool that uses a unique investment strategy tapping into the power of stock ratings. And corporate lobbying, can it produce better equity returns? We'll find out as we dive into this edition of First Look ETF. But first, as always, we are going to get a quick recap of the latest ETF launches from the New York Stock Exchange. And joining us live from the exchange is Douglas Jonas. Hi, Douglas. It's great to have you with us. It's so good to be back. Thanks, Stephanie. I'm so excited about season two. Yeah, absolutely. Us too. Okay, let's start out as we always do. Give us the latest ETF numbers. Yeah, look, 2022 is turning out to be exactly as we expected, a really a run on for ETFs of 2021, uh, where it was a record breaking year. We've got 36 new ETFs launched already in January. The pipeline remains strong throughout the next few months. And assets are there as well, over $300 million in new assets coming into the market. Yeah, that is Phenomenal. You know, over the past few months here on the show, we have featured ETFs that have that environmental, social and governance tilt or the ESG focus. What can you tell us about these types of ETFs and what we can expect looking ahead? Yeah, of course. And, you know, we always try and draw out interesting themes. Of course, here at the New York Stock Exchange, we see all the different ETFs that come to the market. And yes, traditional ETFs still continue to remain strong, a lot of growth, but there are some interesting themes. Active management remains one of those persistent themes. Over half of all the ETFs launched this year are actively managed. Over half of the new assets coming in have been into actively managed. And then you mentioned ESG, this environmental social governance, such a big focus at my company, probably a big focus at a lot of yours at home. When we look back at the growth rate, it's been incredible. The last five years, 26% compound to annual growth rate of assets in the ESG category. Over 10% of launches are ESG related this year. So it's certainly going to be a trend we're gonna watch throughout this year. All right, keeping our eyes on it all. Thank you so much, Douglas Jonas from the NYSE. It is great to have you with us. Take care. Thanks for having me as always. And a quick reminder, we simulcast First Look ETF on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, and other major podcasting platforms. So be sure to check us out there. And while you're there, feel free to leave us a review in the comments. Can corporate lobbying produce better equity returns? We'll hear to discuss a new ETF targeting this strategy, plus a companion fund targeting important investment themes is Nicholas Bonesack, CEO with Strategus Asset Management. Hi, Nicholas. It's great to see you. Good to see you. Thank you. 
All right. So your firm has just introduced the Strategus Macro Thematic Opportunities ETF, and that ticker is SAMT, and the Strategus Global Policy Opportunities ETF, which is SAGP. Each of these funds has a radically different approach. Can you go ahead and compare and comp- contrast these ETF strategies for us? The similarity is that we're very focused on thematic rotation, and that can come in a couple of different forms. Uh, from a macro thematic standpoint, uh, you know, we tend to find that there are themes that dominate the investment landscape for six or nine or 12 or 15 months time. And we can create a portfolio of those uh, of those themes and sort of rotate through those themes over time as they gain and lose uh, thematic momentum. On the global policy front, it's similar, except the approach, as you mentioned, uh, is different. And what changes is, is less about investment themes and more about the policy outcomes, whether they be awesome, offensive policy outcomes or defensive policy outcomes. So the approach is a, sort of a, a thematic rotation uh, through both portfolios. But again, the focus uh, is a little different, as you mentioned. Yeah, and it's interesting um, in looking at some of the holdings, I noticed that you guys are pretty heavy right now in uh, airline and, and hotel stocks. Yeah, on the macro thematic side, we are. You know, what we try to be invested in three or four uh, of the of the investment themes that sort of uh, are most compelling to us through our research product. And the reopening theme is one that, despite the Omicron variant, uh, is one we feel very strongly about. And whether it be on the retail side, if you'll allow individuals going back on vacation, uh, or the commercial side, business travelers sort of getting back out uh, and about, those hotels and restaurant stocks we think will do fairly well over the next six to nine months. Yeah, I think everybody's ready to get back out there. I don't know about you, but um, one of the similarities that I noticed is that both of these ETFs are actively managed. Talk about, you know, how useful um, is the ETF structure in your firm's approach to active management? Well, the way we think about it, because we take the active approach, it actually, for the advisors we work with, provides them a very convenient solution where they're not focused on one theme at one time and have to hop around uh, different products, which is very often the case in the thematic landscape. Our products rotate, uh, as we discussed, sort of through themes. Uh, And so from that vantage point, uh, advisors and clients who are familiar with our work and familiar with sort of the the different themes we're talking about can see over time those reflected directly uh, in each of the portfolios. So the the exchange traded wrapper uh, has really been the most efficient uh, when we've put these types of products together. And then on that note, then how do you see advisors and investors ultimately using both of these ETFs inside a diversified portfolio? Yeah, they are. They are a little different. I think the policy uh, ETF does have a global element, and that's not for all clients, to be sure. Uh, and certainly there are things uh, that companies uh, do lobby the federal U.S. federal government on that are not, uh, you know, uh, sort of right for all portfolios. Uh, so it tends to be a complementary position, something that may be in an alternative equity bucket. But the macro thematic strategy, uh, by, from, by most accounts, when we speak with advisors, sort of strikes right at the core. We use our sector um, asset allocation to, to sort of carve the way we gain exposures to each of the themes. And over time, it's proved to be um, not biased towards growth and not biased towards value, but we try to position it all weather. All right, Nick, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. My pleasure. 
Many people are pressed for time and the know-how to properly select stocks. And that is why Motley Fool has been so successful dispensing investment advice that is easy to understand. Well, the investment provider is now offering a pair of new research-driven ETFs designed to take the guesswork out of picking the right stocks. And joining us now is Brian Hinman, Chief Investment Officer and Senior Portfolio Manager at Motley Fool. Welcome to you, Brian. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me, Stephanie. Really appreciate it. Okay. You guys have a pair of new funds that are launched here. Uh, they are the Motley Fool Next Index ETF, and that ticker is TMFX, and the Motley Fool Capital Efficiency 100 Index ETF, that ticker is TMFE. So tell us about both of these new ETFs and the strategy behind them. Be happy to. These ETFs are all about making the incredible high conviction stock recommendations of our sister company, the Motley Fool available to investors in an easy to consume package. We start with that stacked deck of Motley Fool endorsed stocks, and then we group them in ways to address investor allocation needs. So the Motley Fool Next Index is designed to capture the most promising small and mid cap portion of those active stock recommendations. It's simple and it's the, really the bread and butter of what the Motley Fool is known for. Uh, these stocks are the stocks of rule breakers alongside the established rule makers that dominate their niches. Right now, that means it's a collection of businesses valued at about $40 billion by market cap and smaller. It includes high growth disruptors like the Trade Desk you may have heard of or MongoDB, as well as high quality quiet dominators like McCormick and Zebra Technologies. The Motley Fool Capital Efficiency 100 Index takes that same recommendation universe and applies a quantitative filter to highlight the 100 businesses with the highest capital efficiency. Now, what's exciting here is uh, that capital efficiency metric is a proprietary measure that was created by the Motley Fool Investing Intelligence Team. It's based on academic work behind the concept of the gross profitability premium, uh, which has demonstrated stocks with high gross profitability have tended to generate outsized returns. Now, the capital efficiency metric takes that gross profitability idea a few steps further, uh, not only considering the level of gross profitability, but uh, also its trend and stability. So we apply that metric to the Motley Fool stock recommendations and focusing on the 100 highest scoring has shown to create a pretty compelling uh, portfolio of risk adjusted returns. It's a beautiful marriage, I think, of the Fool's qualitative stock picking uh, and an innovative quantitative overlay. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like it. it sounds like, you know, we're not just shooting from the hip these days. Definitely not. Not at um, all. So both of these ETFs are index linked. How often tell us about that and how often the index is maintained? The indexes are built by establishing a selection universe. And that universe includes, on the one hand, all active recommendations of the Motley Fool's flagship newsletters. Stock Advisor and Rule Breaker, which you, you and listeners may have heard of. These newsletters, they've been choosing stocks every month for greater than a decade. Incredible track record, transparent track record, and unmatched ability to educate and amuse. Those newsletter stocks, on the one hand, are combined with the 150 highest conviction stocks directly from the analyst team at The Motley Fool. That research team populates a database in real time called Fool IQ that logs and tracks their own analyst picks and applies algorithms to surface the most promising. So those two things come together uh, to form the selection universe. From there, the indexes pull from that universe based on a simple set of rules. So for 
uh, the full next, it is market cap, choosing those small and mid cap stocks. And for the full capital efficiency, it's that capital efficiency score, which is overlaid. Uh, the indexes are reconstituted quarterly, which uh, allows for the most current thinking and best ideas to really bubble up to the top, but also allows for long-term uh, holding of those stocks. All right, Brian, just a couple seconds left. Who is your target investor? I mean, obviously the, the Motley Fool devotees, but are we trying to get out of, you know, just that pool and branch out? Yeah, we are. You know, for 30 years, the investing philosophy of the Fool has been centered around long-term patient ownership of growing healthy businesses. Um, increasingly, as of late, we've focused a lot on uh, the fact that people and culture matter uh, and that investors' portfolio is most powerful when it reflects the best vision of the future. And we bring that to life in these e ETFs. So any investor with a similar ethos, whether they know the Molly Fool or not, uh, I think is, is worth taking a look at this suite of ETFs. Specifically for the next index, uh, it's obviously geared to capturing a subset of the best small and medium-sized businesses. So an investor's mid-cap equity allocation bucket is really where that slots in. And then the Motley Fool Capital Efficiency Index, it's, it's a bit more of a multi-tool. We've had conversations with investors and advisors that see it either as a core or a satellite holding, given its skew to established, highly profitable, capital-efficient businesses. Uh, it can serve as a core equity holding or be used to overweight that profitability or capital efficiency factor in a smart beta strategy. So it's pretty versatile. All right, Brian Hinman, we're going to have to leave it there with the Motley Fool. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Stephanie. The U.S. national debt recently crossed an all-time high of $30 trillion, and some economists are warning that dramatically higher taxes will be needed to pay for all that debt. Well, it is also causing some investors to look for tax shelters like municipal bonds. And here to talk more about it is David Hammer. He is the Managing Director and Head of Municipal Bond Portfolio Management at PIMCO. He's also the Lead Portfolio Manager for the recently launched PIMCO Municipal Income Opportunities Active ETF, and the ticker on that is M-I-N-O or MINO. And David, thank you so much for joining us. It is great to have you with us. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, before we talk about your latest ETF launch, what important trends are you seeing right now in the bond market? Well, to start the year, we've seen a more hawkish Fed uh, as they move to price in faster rate increases to uh, combat higher inflation levels that they may have previously been expected. So looking at markets today, the, the Fed is now pricing in, or the markets are now pricing in about five to six uh, Fed hikes over the balance of the year. This has caused interest rates to move higher, and uh, that downward move in price and reaction interest rates has caused some outflows from the muni bond market. About $3 billion in outflows from the market uh, has put some pressure on prices. And for the month of January, uh, the investment grade muni index down a little over 2%. That's actually the worst start to the year since 1981. So uh, we're seeing a lot more value in munis today. Uh, and I think, you know, more importantly, the, the question that many investors are asking as we look out over a longer time period, uh, how do we expect munis to perform during the next Fed hiking cycle? And, you know, historically, these are environments that munis tend to, to thrive in for their defensive characteristics. Looking back at the last two Fed hiking cycles, whether it's uh, 2004 to 6 or 15 to 18, uh, munis have outperformed other fixed income asset classes. And very simply, as the uh, the, the absolute yield number, tax-free yield number rises, it becomes more attractive to tax-aware investors. Uh, they tend to allocate more capital 
Uh, and for that reason, they tend to outperform other taxable fixed income. So looking back to the two previous Fed hiking cycles, uh, U.S. Treasuries cumulatively over those two cycles returned about 4 to 5 percent. Tax-free munis, investment-grade muni bonds, uh, between 7 and 9 percent. High-yield muni bonds between 18 and 22 percent cumulatively. And that's without adjusting for the value of taxes. So from an asset allocation perspective, uh, we think munis fare uh, quite well over a Fed hiking cycle. Okay, so the PIMCO Municipal Income Opportunities Active ETF, which again, the ticker is MINO, M-I-N-O. This is the latest addition to PIMCO's lineup. Tell us more about the fund strategy and some of the bond weightings. In the Municipal Income Opportunities Active ETF, what we're really focused on is taking advantage of the three big inefficiencies in the muni market. We're firm believers in active management. Uh, The muni market's very fertile ground for active management. And why is that? Well, uh, the first big inefficiency, it's credit. The, the muni market is comprised of uh, a million different QCIPs, 50,000 different issuers. Rating agencies tend to take a very uh, backward-looking approach. They're working with data that's already come in. Here at PIMCO, we take our large credit team. Uh, we're underwriting to future expectations. What do we think will happen in the economy and how will that impact these credits? Uh, that oftentimes means we uh, arrive at very different conclusions than rating agencies. So we're Overweighting bonds where we see opportunity and, you know, just as importantly, underweighting uh, parts of the index where we think there's underappreciated risk. Uh, the second big inefficiency we're focused on is structure. Uh, you know, unlike investment grade corporate bond markets, uh, tax exempt munis, most bonds are callable, more than two thirds of the market. And every time you invest in a callable municipal bond, you are effectively uh, short a call option as an investor. Uh, the, the retail uh, buyer predominantly isn't uh, you know, very efficient at pricing the value of those call options. So our portfolio management team, we're constantly overweighting uh, more attractive mispriced callable bonds and underweighting those where as an investor, you're really not being compensated for value. And then the last is liquidity. Uh, broker dealers have provided less and less liquidity to the muni market over the last decade. Uh, they used to run about 50 to 60 billion in balance sheet versus 400 million or so in long only uh, muni AUM. Today, it's only 10 to 15 billion in liquidity versus a long only muni base that's uh, more than a trillion dollars. So this gives a rise to more frequent occurrences of uh, illiquidity uh, where valuations tend to really overshoot fundamentals. So in an active strategy, we can take our cash position up and down depending on valuations and technicals. Uh, it allows us to avoid having to sell into a very expensive market. You know, just as importantly, it gives us an opportunity to go on offense and use that liquidity to take advantage of these temporary dislocations. So in closing, how do you see investors and financial advisors using Minnow as part of their overall strategy? We're big believers in active management here at PIMCO. We've been doing this for a long time. We launched the first active mini ETF uh, more than a decade ago. That was a core vehicle. Uh, you know, Minnow is really a core plus muni vehicle. It gives our portfolio management team more flexibility uh, to target higher excess returns than a more passive strategy or a core strategy. Uh, a key component of that is allowing us to buy lower quality municipal bonds, not rated by the agency municipal bonds. This is a pocket of the market. We oftentimes see uh, better opportunity, higher tax for yields without giving up uh, much in the way of uh, credit quality or, or default risk. Uh, and it's a structural tilt of the portfolio that allows investors to you know, really unlock more from their muni allocation, which has become increasingly important. Even though rates are up a little bit, we still live in a relatively low rate world. 
uh, and that extra alpha can make a big difference for investors. All right. David Hammer with PIMCO. Thank you so much for joining us here today on First Look ETF. It's great to have you with us. Thanks so much for having me. Well, that does it for this edition of First Look ETF. Did you enjoy the show? Well, feel free to let us know by hitting the like button and leaving a comment in the section below. We want to give a big thanks to all of our guests, including Douglas Jonas with the New York Stock Exchange. And be sure to check out homeofetfs.com to learn more. Also, do not forget to pick up the podcast version of First Look ETF. It is available on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, and other major podcasting platforms. I'm Stephanie Stanton with ETF Guide. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. NYSE has sponsored this production by ETF Guide LLC for illustrative, informational, and educational purposes only, without regard to any particular investor's objectives, financial situation, or circumstances. NYSE neither represents nor warrants the accuracy or correctness of any of the statements in the production, which has been independently assembled by ETF Guide LLC and with whom sole editorial control rests. NYSE makes no recommendation as to possible benefits from any securities or trading strategies, and this production is not a recommendation offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any security or engage in any trading strategy. Prior to the execution of a purchase or sale of any security, you are advised to consult with your own advisors.